Chapter 4 continued. A few days later, Dad finally said yes. Even though he couldn't understand why people would judge others at face value, he knew it was a fact of life. To be fair to me, he said, to save me from being rejected by society, the operation should go ahead. Both Mom and Dad signed the consent form. Those dice were about to be rolled. Chapter 5, The Big Fix. Remember the baby's head sculpture you did in our imaginary art class? Dig it out. Not the nice A-plus one you started with, mind you. No, we need the ugly, bumpy one with a squished nose you had at the end of it all. Make it normal, your teacher says. This time, you don't waste a moment waiting for more instructions. Looking at it, you see right away the biggest problem is the massive chunk of clay in the middle of the face that's not supposed to be there. You start trying to reshape the nose and smooth over some of the bumps, but the clay has started to harden, and it's a lot more difficult to work with. It doesn't move so easily beneath your hands now. Pretty quickly, you figure out that working only on the outside isn't going to be enough. You might be able to smooth the skin a bit, but there's still a big mess in the middle of the face, and the eyes are nowhere near where they should be. If just working on the outside won't fix it, you think maybe you can work from the inside out instead. You gouge away the big chunk that's not supposed to be there and then dig some clay out of the very middle of the face. As you push the sides back together, the eyes move closer to where they should be. After that, you can smooth out a few bumps, but your sculpture still needs a nose, so you grab some of the clay you set aside before and make a new one. Carefully, you place it on the front of the face where the nose should be. Done. That's what my doctors had to do to my face. The operation took more than a year to plan. Heading the team were the doctors who had spent the most time talking to my parents after I was born. Dr. Atkinson and plastic surgery Dr. Tony Emmett. They had years and years of experience between them, but they still had a lot to learn before they would be ready. The type of operation they were planning was only just starting to prove successful overseas in Mexico and in France. The doctors took trips to France, the United States, Scotland, and Mexico to study new techniques that were being developed, especially those of French servant, surgeon Paul Tessier, whose pioneering work was fundamental. Dr. Tessier's approach was a bold one. Before then, patients with complex facial problems like mine had different parts of their faces treated separately. Doctors would fix one part of the jigsaw, then the next, and the next, and the next. Dr. Tessier's suggestion was that you get all the experts together to try to fix as many of the problems as they could all at once. Fewer operations meant better results and reduced the likelihood of complications. The technique was called craniofacial surgery. Improvements in anesthetics and new drills and bone saws that allowed for precision cutting of the skull made it possible. The surgical team took life-size pictures of my face and x-rays of my skull so they could match the two together and see where bone and skin would have to be cut and moved. To rehearse and refine the procedure, Dr. Atkinson and Dr. Emmon took human skulls home at night and practiced cutting them up. When everything was ready, the plan included 40 different surgical procedures. They just needed a team to do it. Then, like superhero Avengers, the team assembled a mater, five surgeons who'd work on different parts of my body, two assistants to help them, three anesthetists, and to make sure I stayed unconscious during the operation, plus nine different nurses, and me, the Hulk. Teams started to work at both ends of my body at the same time. One surgeon amputated my right foot in the bottom of my leg, while at the other end, the doctor started remaking my face. They cut through the top of my skull so they would have easier access to my eye sockets and could move skin and bone around more accurately. The surgeons carefully cut around the bones of my eye sockets and moved each eye a little more than half an inch from the side of my head to the front and down slightly. They had to leave room to build my nose, but the eye surgeon made sure the sockets were as close to where they should be as possible. The whole time, doctors had to pump blood into me to replace what I was losing. The surgeons who had amputated my legs were now working on the skin, bone, and cartilage they had removed. They used a long part of the bone from my amputated big toe to make a bridge for my new nose. Then they took cartilage from the amputated foot and sculpted it around the bone to make me a nose. 
Leftover bone was used to fill the larger gaps where my eye sockets had originally been. It sounds simple, but the whole procedure took double the time expected, clocking in at more than 12 hours. I started the day as a boy with a right leg and deformed foot, no nose and eyes at the side of my head. I finished it with eyes at the front of my head, no right leg, no foot, and a new nose. I'd had my leg cut off and my head cut open and put back together again. I'd been under anesthetic for a dangerously long time. My blood had been replaced three times over. Despite all this, I survived. I was Robert Hogue, born a second time.